study on the Godhead. And tonight our topic is simply the blessings of God. And I want to begin with a question, how valuable are his blessings? Yeah, completely valuable. Let's begin in Proverbs chapter 10 tonight. Look at verse 22. The blessings of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. What's interesting, the blessings we receive from God does not have the sorrow of ill-gotten gain. Please understand, everything that God blesses us with is good. There's no sorrow with that. And whether it's temporal blessing, spiritual blessings, they all come from God. Most of you remember Hannah in the Old Testament without child. And once she realizes that God's going to give her a son, she has a song of thanksgiving. Look what she says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 7. 1 Samuel 2, verse 7. Okay, thank you, Alan. What's the Bible say about God? What's he do? Yeah. And that's interesting. Because God is the sovereign distributor of material wealth. Doesn't matter how it comes. It could be by birth. It could be by inheritance. It's all by his providence. God is in control of that. If someone gives you a gift, God has moved that person to do it. If what we get is from hard work, from our skill, or just simply being thrifty with our finances, God has given us the talent to do what we are able to do. But he also directs its use. And the bottom line is, the scripture is very clear, God is the one who disperses. In Genesis chapter 24, uh, Abraham had sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And if you know the story, he ends up in, of course, Abraham's family. And uh, Abraham had a, uh, I guess, a uh, nephew, whatever, a relation there, kind of like money. He enjoyed wealth a little bit. And so notice in Genesis 24, 35, look how Abraham's servant describes to Laban the wealth that Isaac is going to receive. All right, thank you, Dan. Now, again, this is uh, Abraham's servant. He's out to find a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. And he's describing to Laban of the wealth that Isaac is going to one day inherit. But notice again, as Dan, thank you for reading in verse 35, where, and the service is very clear about this, where did this wealth come from? From who? From God. It came from the Lord. And they recognized the blessing of the Lord. There's also a time in Isaac's life uh, when a famine uh, came to their land and Isaac leaves the area and he goes to Gerar uh, there in the area of the Philistine. Look at Genesis 26 verse 12. Now, th- now think about this. While he was there, he stayed a while. And the Bible says he sowed a crop. And did he just have a a meager so-so reaping? What did the Bible say? A hundredfold. But notice this. The Bible says because the Lord blessed him. So our blessings come from the Lord. (laughs) 
And the danger is when we begin to convince ourselves that what we, what we have, what we've accumulated is because of our intelligence, because of our own heart, whatever it might be. But the bottom line is who allows us to have it? God does. The blessings of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Now, by the way, remember, um, of course, Moses is, is preaching or teaching the children of Israel there. And he wants them to, to realize, you know, you're going to a land. A land where you'll live in houses you didn't have to build, drink from wells you didn't dig, uh, vineyards you didn't plant. And he wants them to remember something very important. Look at verse 18, Deuteronomy 8. Somebody read that, please. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, by the way, if you know anything about the story of uh, the children of Israel, you're going to find out that uh, God certainly had blessed uh, Isaac and Jacob and, and, and those. But the bottom line was this. It took time. And Moses reminded the children of Israel that they cannot forget what God has done for them. But it was God alone. It was God who gave them the ability, the power to accumulate wealth. Now, what's interesting is this. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be wealthy? No. So the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. You shake your head no, Alan, what do you mean? Yes, that's a difference, isn't there? Now, again, let me ask you, was Abraham a wealthy man? Sure he was. Uh, Job was a wealthy man. And the Bible has a lot of people who serve God who were wealthy. And here's what I want you to realize. Whatever we gain, that when, when we acquire it by God's blessing, uh, by honest diligence, we have no reason to feel guilty. Please understand that. Because, again, God has blessed us. He's given us the power to become wealthy, whatever it might be. And what's interesting is this. You know, I believe that God gives his children all things to enjoy. Now, we've got to keep a proper attitude, uh, keep God in his proper place. There's no doubt about that. But the good news is you don't have to feel guilty. God can bless us in that way. Exodus chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Exodus 1, verse 3 and 4. Thank you, Dan. Now, of course, we spoke about Abraham and others in the Old Testament, people who were blessed with, with financial wealth. But is that the only way God blesses his people? Absolutely not. And, of course, here Paul is speaking about uh, the blessings that we have from God. And Paul talks about not necessarily financial blessings here, but he's talking about how that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So my question is this, how can you put a dollar value on spiritual blessings? You can't do it. You simply cannot do it. And it's interesting, uh, first of all, why do we love God? Say it again, Phyllis. Because he first loved us. Now don't miss that. And we have those blessings because God first loved us. The Spirit of God uh, has sealed us. Jesus Christ died for us. And now we are His. And God gives us, as His children, spiritual blessings simply because of the saving work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And now we are a child of God. Thank God for his spiritual blessings. 
what a, what a, what a tremendous privilege it is to be a child of God and to know that God has chosen us from the foundation of the world to receive these spiritual blessings. Psalm 133, verse 3. The Lord has commanded blessings, even life, forevermore. It's interesting, and I don't have the verse in our notes tonight, but Jesus gave an invitation. He's come to me, all you who are laden and heavy burden, and you'll find what? You'll find rest. We will find rest. And it's our privilege. But it's also our duty to come to Christ for rest. But we have to realize something. No man or woman can come to Christ except the Father draw them. John 6, 44. All right, now what's Jesus saying there in that verse? Unless the Father draws us, guess what? You can't, you're not going to come. Now, it's interesting, and you've heard me use this illustration before, um, but one preacher I used to like, like to listen to, I didn't really have a program today on our, in a local area that I know of, at least something that I'm aware of, but he does have uh, like a two-minute bit almost every day. But somebody wrote in one time, uh, how do you put together... Uh, God's sovereignty and free will. He said, well, you can't really put them together, but they're both in the, in the Scriptures. And here's the thing. Without a doubt, nobody can come to God except He calls them. But we also have to realize with the call of God, we have a responsibility to respond to that call. Now remember, the Bible says many are called but few are chosen. Now, I don't pretend to know all the ramifications of that, but I do know this. We cannot come to Christ except God call us, and we have a responsibility. First of all, is it a blessing to be called by God? Yes. But in the same vein, we have a responsibility, if you will, to respond to that gospel call as God is speaking to our heart. Isaiah 55, look at verse 3. Thank you, Phyllis. Notice again from Isaiah 55, verse 3. Now, we know that nobody can come to God, to Christ, except the Father draw them. We understand that. But yet we have to understand... God says we have a responsibility. God says to incline our ear. What does that mean? What, Dan? To listen. Yeah, listen. I'm calling you. Listen. But he also says, come unto me. So my question is, whose responsibility is it to incline their ear? It's ours. Who's the responsibility to come? It's ours. And then it goes on and says, and hear. Whose responsibility is it to hear? It's ours. Now, who's calling? God is calling. Now, I don't have this verse in our notes tonight, but it just came to my mind. Isaiah 118. Well, God invites us to come and reason together. They talk about our sins being red. They can be white as wool. God's inviting us to come, but who has to come? We have that responsibility. So there is a blessing. Now, but there's a problem. The Bible says that before we are saved, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And what can dead people do? Nothing. So how in the world can those who are dead in their sins and trespasses come? 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 is the answer. Again, God gives us the ability to be made alive. And again, that is a blessing from God. He gives us the blessing to be made alive. Those of us, all of us who were dead in our trespasses and sins. I grew up in southern Illinois, and I always tell people it's a great place to be from. Now, you let that sink in a little while. You understand what I'm talking about. Uh, we have no desire to move back and live there. Uh, but a lot of farmland. And a lot of times, uh, some of those fields will get very dry and thick, hard clods of mud, and they would just cake over. And, you know, my, you know especially in the fall of the year, and uh, it looked like they were not going to be able to be good for anything. But laying there all winter long and, uh, you know, the rain, the dew, uh, again, somehow, it began, brings moisture back to the ground and sort of gives it new life. It's a process. And the same is true with our hearts. And understand, that's the blessing God provides for us. Now, what's also interesting is this. Uh, Jesus says <coughs> that if we will come to him, out of our belly will flow rivers of water. Rivers of water. Say it again. Living water. Now, my question is, how vast is that supply? It'll never run out. It will never, ever run out. It's not a temporary supply, but it's spiritual and it is endless. Jesus promised rivers of living water flowing out of us. Psalm 42, look at verse 8. interesting here, and thank you Jason for reading that it talks about God's loving kindness in the daytime it talks about the song in the night his praying to God so my question is and I think the psalmist had this confidence when can we depend on God's love and God's song Day and night. Day and night. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. You know, sometimes uh, Dan Henderson just makes me so mad. I didn't tell you before, Dan, but I thought about you this week. Rare occasion, when I ask Dan how he's doing, you know what he always tells me? Huh? Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, by the way, I know if he doesn't say one of them, he's feeling bad. But isn't that what it, what it means to be a child of God? We've got God's love. We've got God's song day and night. It's a blessing that God has poured into our lives because we've been born again. And we can be uh, joined with the psalmist and we can have that confidence that God's love and God's song is going to be with us day and night every day of our Live, Psalm 111, verse 9. Amen. How many are glad for the covenant of God? You see, when God commands, He also communicates. And it's interesting. We know that well, let me ask you this question. Help me out. Why does God bless people? 
What's the only reason? Yeah. Who can make him do that? Nobody. It's his own sovereign choice. And he does love us. So therefore, we all deserve God's blessing. No, we don't. But he does it anyway. And it's interesting. Blessing is without a doubt a divine favor. Because God chooses to bless his people. But also, the way that God chooses, if you will, to bestow that blessing is also by his own divine choice. In fact, who does God consult with to make that decision? No one. And it's interesting. The only thing you and I can really do, we can't demand it. We don't deserve it. We just come humbly before God with our hands out. And Lord, bless our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verses 22 through 24. Thank you, Dan. I want to camp here for just a little while tonight because the first statement I want to make tonight, I think very important, Zion is a place of all spiritual blessings. You are come unto Mount Zion. Now, most of you remember Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. Uh, what happened there? Do anybody remember? What was the, what took place on Mount Zion? That's where God went. I'm sorry, Moses went to meet with God to receive the law. And what's interesting, Mount Sinai in the Old Testament was a place of fear. It quaked, smoke ascended out of it, fire. In fact, they had to build a fence around it. Remember that story? Because if anybody broke through, any animal, any human, and touched that mountain, what would happen? They would die. And so Mount Sinai was a place of fear which literally separated God from his people. Now, first of all... uh, Dan, you just read Hebrews there in chapter 12. Who was the book of Hebrews primarily written to? The Jews. That's why it's called Hebrews. And they would understand and they would get the connection. And so Mount Zion, not Mount Sinai now, but Mount Zion represents a new community with a new relationship with God. Now, by the way, throughout the Old Testament, we'll read about Mount Zion, uh, sometimes called Mount Moriah, which is a hill on which the temple was built. But Mount Zion was the home of God and His glory. And in the Old Testament, this Mount Zion, if you will, became the center of Israel's worship during Old Testament times. You remember Daniel when he prayed, what direction he looked to? East to Jerusalem, to Mount Zion. Now what's interesting, not only did God live in Zion, we know he's everywhere all the time. But now, access 
to God was made available, is made available to all believers through Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Do you remember how fearful they were back in Exodus when they saw the mountain? Do you remember what they told Moses? Moses, you talk to him, right? We're afraid if we talk to him, what's going to happen? We're going to die. So Moses, you talk to him. You get the message from him. You come and tell us. I mean, they were, and, and rightfully so, they were very much afraid. And so we see a contrast here in Hebrews now between the people's terrified approach to God at Mount Sinai and now the writer of Hebrews speaks about a joyful approach at Mount Zion. How many know Jesus made a difference? And what a difference Jesus made. And please understand, I'm convinced it's always been on the heart of God that men and women can draw near to Him. But it only came through Jesus Christ. What a blessing from God. What's interesting, before Jesus came into our world, God appeared to be distant and threatening. That's how they saw Him. I mean, could you imagine being the high priest? Now, I don't know for sure. I'm just kind of guessing here. I think they were very careful not to be arrogant. You know, they were allowed to go in there once a year, right? But what if they messed up? Yeah, they would die. So you know there had to be a a, a fear there. Surely there was. But now, through Jesus Christ... God welcomes us into his presence. And especially as Christians, we are now citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem because Jesus Christ rules our lives because the Holy Spirit is with us and because we can now enjoy close fellowship with other believers. And I want to tell you, folks, what a blessing that is. We haven't come to the mountain that's quaking. We've come to Mount Zion. Not a place of fear, but a place of joy, a place of fellowship, a place of nearness to God. Psalm 89, verse 15. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Why? They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. To me, this is one of the most blessed effects of divine spiritual birth. Blessed are those who know the joyful sound. Whenever we are born again, when we are born of the Spirit, our eyes and our ears are open to recognize spiritual things. Notice, it's not just they hear the joyful sound. They know the joyful sound. Now, bear in mind, it is possible to hear a joyful sound and yet not even have the faintest idea of what it's really all about. To know what the joyful sound is trying to say to their hearts. 
Romans 10, verse 15. I want to suggest to you tonight, folks, that joyful sound is a glad tidings of good things. It is glad tidings of good things. And let me tell you what the joyful sound is. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ came to save sinners. Glad Tidings of good things. Now, by the way, all of us who have been saved and are blessed by God, who inwardly know that heavenly music, we are blessed beyond measure. Because we are assured of access unto God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are able, if you will, to enjoy the light of His divine countenance because of what Christ has done for us. Blessed are those who know the joyful sound. It's interesting, uh, back in Exodus, as they were describing the ephod, the priest was to wear, and we're talking specific about the high priest here. Uh, by the way, that's in Psalm 89, that's what Psalm 89 is probably referring to, one of the things. But... Can you imagine, blessed are those who know the joyful sound. Can you imagine the sound that Aaron made when he went into the Holy of Holies and came out? Let's go to chapter 28 of Exodus. Look, look at verses 33 to 35. Thank you, Dan. Notice the description of the ephod. On the hem of the ephod, what was, what was on there? Say it again. Bells and pomegranates. And uh, so the high priest goes into the holy place. And he's the only one loud in there. Can't see, but can you hear? What are you hearing? Yeah. Now I gotta tell you something, folks. That had to be a joyful sound. Because when the people heard the joyful sound, it gave evidence that their high priest was now approaching the Lord on their behalf. Now remember, how many times a year did he do this? Once. It's called the day of what? Of atonement. Atonement for what? For their sins. <laughs> Can I suggest to you on that day, you want to hear that sound? And it wouldn't just be a sound, it would be a joyful sound. Because you know 
Now, by the way, if you didn't hear a sound, what do you know? He's dead. Yeah, it's not working. We're not being atoned for. So the sound of that music, the sound of those bells, may I say, was indeed a joyful sound. But what about, and again, you know, bear with me here, because I know this may be stressing a little bit. Uh, but suppose somebody had to be walking by that was not an Israelite, not a Jew, and they heard those bells. What would it mean to them? Nothing. Nothing. Because they don't know the joyful sound. Numbers 10, verse 10, another example, I think, of a joyful sound. Another time, and what's interesting, what we see is a, is a general reference to the sound of the, of the sacred trumpets which called Israel to their sacred feast. A joyful sound. They understood, they recognized it. They know the joyful sound. Another example would be the trumpet of Jubilee. Leviticus 25, verses 9 and 10. So again, now think about this. At the beginning of the month, every month the trumpet would sound, reminding them of a feast coming up. Would you agree that's a joyful sound? They knew that sound. And then every 50 years on the Day of Atonement, they'd hear that trumpet sound, that trumpet of Jubilee. Was it a joyful sound? They know the joyful sound. So you say, well, preacher, okay, that was then. We're not under the law. We don't uh, have those festivals anymore. Jesus took care of that. But I want you to realize the gospel is our joyful sound. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has set us free from sin. The gospel of liberty for those captivated by sin. And I want you to realize the gospel is music to the ears to those who understand it. We know the joyful sound. Psalm 2, verse 12. Somebody read that for me, please. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, we're going to come back to this verse in just a little bit, but right now we're looking at the last part where the psalmist said, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. How many are trusting the Lord tonight? Amen. We are blessed. We are blessed. God is good to it. Now, something we need to remember tonight when we think about... uh, the logical order of salvation. First of all, salvation, this is important, it begins and it ends with God. What am I trying to say? Well, here's my question. What can we do to earn our salvation? Nothing. So it has to begin with God. We can absolutely do nothing to be saved on our own merits. It's simply by the grace of God. 
Second Thessalonians chapter two, look at verse thirteen. Thank you, Dan. So salvation begins with God. Now, we mentioned a moment ago about no one can come to God through the Son except the Father draw them. And again, kind of going back to that again, we have to personally embrace the salvation that God offers. Now, my question would be, who does God offer salvation to? Everyone. For whosoever will, let him come, right? Now go back to Psalm 2.12 again. Look what it says. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. And then the psalmist said, Blessed are they that put their trust in him. If we are going to be blessed by God... You have to kiss the Son. That precedes being blessed. And what that means is, it means bowing in submission before Him. It means we yield our lives to His kingly rule. It means we give Him our allegiance. We kiss the Son. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Amen. In this particular verse, our our text, Samuel's anointing David. He pours the oil on his head and he kisses David. He is showing allegiance to David. He is showing, if you will, submission to the new king of Israel, King David. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is running for his life. He's discouraged. Uh, look what it says in verse 18, 1 Kings 19. Kiss the Son if you're going to be blessed. And again, here in 1 Kings 19, the idea of kissing would be giving your allegiance to them. And God reminds Elijah, Elijah, you're not by yourself. You're not the only one serving me. I've got 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee. I've got 7,000 who have not kissed Baal. Now, here's the situation. People talk about a Savior, and we do need a Savior. But how many know that Jesus Christ cannot be our Savior unless He's also the Lord of our lives? We've got to commit our lives to Him. Notice this as well. First of all, well, let me ask you a question. How many ways are there to heaven? Just one. How many doors? Just one, okay? So number one, God provides the entrance into his kingdom. What a blessing. Now, and I remember where I read this out years ago. I don't think I came up with my own. But somebody would, would ask the question, well, it's not fair that God showed us a way. I want to say I'm glad God did show us the way. Amen. He told us there's only one way, Okay. First, uh, Second Peter chapter one verse eleven. Amen. God provides the interest into His kingdom. Second of all, we are blessed because it's only through Jesus Christ, by knowing Him, that we escape the pollution of this world. Second Peter two twenty.
Amen. But again, our, our point is this. God provides a way, and through Christ we're able to escape the pollutions of this world. And the third thing is, once we're born again, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now, again, back to Psalm 2, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Now, please understand, to put our trust in him, it simply means we're taking refuge in God. My question is, is there any better place to hide? No. We're taking refuge in God. We realize we cannot help ourselves. We, we uh, repudiate our own righteousness. And that is evidence of our confidence in God. And we, we show that evidence of our confidence by committing ourselves to His keeping. Because my friend, if God can't keep us, guess what? Nobody can. We cannot keep ourselves. So what are some of the blessings of putting trust in Christ? Number one, our sins are covered. Psalm 32, verse 1. I think this is a fundamental part of putting our trust in Christ. Putting our trust in Him. The joyful sound has assured us that Christ died for the ungodly. And I was in that group, and so were you. He died for us. But wait a minute. What's the chances of God telling me no if I come to him? He won't. He won't cast us aside. He simply won't. Do that. So we express our faith in Christ by running to Him for refuge. What a blessing that is to know that we have surrendered to His Lordship and we have put our reliance in the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, when Jesus washed away our sins, which ones did He wash away? Every last one. Thank God for that. And now we have his righteousness applied to our lives. Our iniquities are forgiven, our sins are covered, uh, covered by God. Thank God for that. Help me out here. How many times was Jesus crucified? Once. Uh, how effectual was that death? 100%. And here's what's interesting. Do you understand that that blood of Christ shed on Calvary atoned for all sin? All sin. For all the world. But it only applies to those who believe. Those who put their trust in Him. Those who kiss the Son. Acts 13, verse 39. Thank you, Phyllis. I like that first part. And by Him all that believe are justified from all things. Galatians 2, 16. Galatians 2, verse 16. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Our sins are covered. Psalm 84, verse 5. 
Amen. So our sins are covered. We rely upon His strength. Isaiah 45, verse 24. Isaiah 45, verse 24. Amen. We must rely upon His strength. Once we're born again, we begin to see that uh, we're not only without any righteousness of our own, we need His, but we also realize how weak and insufficient we really are. Christ is sufficient. Here in Isaiah, God declares, I, that He has righteousness and He has strength. That's the only way we can fight the good fight of faith. So once we're saved, our sins are covered, we're strength in Him. The third thing is we obey Him. Psalm 128, verse 1. Amen. Those who have committed their lives to Christ are blessed. Those who have a deep reverence for Christ, for God, live our lives in regular obedience to Him. Thank God for the blessings God has bestowed on our lives.